You know, when we think about who we are, uh, that that's a phrase, a phrase we'd use is identity. Today, what we're going to do is dig into the start of how a person forms who they are. And it really begins in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Hi, this is Eric Hurd, and my podcast is called Relationships by the Book. So why that title? Well, I lived 18 years of my life apart from God, apart from His Word. And my family was one of the most dysfunctional families to grow up in, and we didn't understand relationships. And when I came to know Christ, it absolutely transformed me from the inside out. And I began to understand God's wisdom because I dug into His Word and I saw how much He had to say about relationships. I've been a pastor now for over 45 years. and. So this podcast is really an accumulation of the wisdom God's given me in relationships that I want to share with you. All right. Welcome back. How are you? Man, I'm doing really well, Michael. How about yourself? Doing well. Yeah, I'm I'm colder this morning. Why is that, Michael? I can't stand being cold. Well, you know, we're we're pretty spoiled in Southern California, man. (laughs) I can't complain, but I will say, leaving my house this morning, the car temperature, it said 39 well, you're in a canyon. I, I lived in that canyon, and yeah, it drops below freezing for sure. It does, which, I mean, I know there are people that are well below that, but yes. for me, it's a change. And I but you didn't here. have any sleet or snow, did you? Nope, no sleet or snow, but <laughs> yeah, driving here, clear roads, no problems. I'm a brat, but I just, I live here because of the climate. Yes. So, Michael, today... We're going we're gonna to dig in. Uh, last week we were talking about the, you know, just the concept of identity, how important it is. You know, as Jesus said, as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so they are. In other words, we act out of how we view ourselves. And we started to frame how do we get a sense of identity. And it really comes a lot from the family that we grow up in, the friends that we have. In other words, the people that are around us that input into us like, oh man, you're so funny. Well, all of a sudden, that funny guy becomes funnier because he takes on that persona. Of course. Yeah. Sure. So today, we're going we're gonna to talk about more the foundation of where identity comes from. And, uh, and as I said in my introduction, it, it really comes from God himself. And, uh, and so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. I'm excited. You know, I can't help but think about, huh, what's shaped me? Mm-hmm. And there's so many uh, I don't know, maybe I just had a lot of influence around me, yeah. but uh, this will be interesting. I'm excited. So what, what, is, what does God have to say? Well, I, I first want to say that, you know, uh, again, for many uh, who may listen uh, to this podcast, uh, we all come from a different background. And uh, unfortunately, my family were atheists, so we never looked at the Bible, never thought about God. And so really where I formulated who I was was, was within my family structure. The sad part was is that I was never really wanted or loved. And so I had that, that sense of, uh, of uh, ambiguity. I didn't know who I really was, and I, so I tried out different personas, and I found out that uh, I could be funny. 
And, uh, and so I was kind of the humorist in our family, even though it was an abusive family, even though it was difficult. So I became the humorist. I also uh, found out I was pretty good in school. And so, you know, I, I'd excel in school just to get that affirmation that I'm smart or whatever it may be. I wasn't a great athlete, so I didn't, I, I, I played athletics, but didn't really uh, achieve much. Played college ball, that kind of thing. But all to say that the only thing I had to have a sense of myself were the people around me. And honestly, I hit the wall. When I was 17 and a half, I was pretty well done. And I actually had suicidal ideation. I felt like I wasn't loved. I didn't fit. I didn't like who I was. And, and honestly, it, it came through an, uh, an opportunity that a guy gave me to come to a meeting and to find out about God, about Jesus Christ. And it, it was the game changer, which for a lot of people it is. And I, I know your own story, Michael, and uh, of how, how, you know, when you were a teenager, you came to Christ. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it changed, again, the way I felt and, and looked at myself. Because now, rather than just my family and friends, now I had Almighty God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, giving me a sense of who I really am. Mm-hmm. I have a question about that because, yeah. you know, I was about 18, 19, you were 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very impressionable age in your life, right? You're yep. getting ready to finish high school. You're going out into the world on your own soon. Like, I don't know, you start to build up this who am I season, right? Right. Um, what about for someone that's like, you know, way down the road, 40, 50, 60 years old and comes to Jesus? You know, there's like, there's such a difference, I think. Is there? Uh, actually, no. Okay, you know, okay. Let, let me explain. I wasn't sure. Is that, um, like, I find men who hit the wall in their 40s, 50s, or 60s. Here's the deal. We grow up, and maybe you grow up in a healthy family that loves you, uh, gives you opportunity, kind of nudges you, helps you to find your way, and all of a sudden, you know, you're in a job, or, or you go to college, and you get good grades, and 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 you maybe even get your master's or, you know, uh, 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 um a graduate degree, and and then you get into a job and you start performing, and people are going, "Yeah, boy, you're, you're you're making money." And then then well, I gotta get a family. So you find a wonderful woman who's similar to you, and you get married, and you have kids, and it's interesting to me that I see men who hit the wall at 40, 50, and sixty because what they bought into was simply the earthly form of success. Mm. I, I, I go to college, I get a job, I get married, I have kids, and, and it's, this is it? And, and, and because it's not enough. The things of this world are not enough. And again, it's not that it's in, not enjoyable. I mean, food and wine and going to amusement parks and going to the beach and having a family, all those are gifts from God. But if I don't connect to the God that gave them to me, I worship the creation rather than the creator. Mm. So really the core of it is that buying into what the world's offering. And that can start at a really young age. It can catch you later in life. It doesn't matter. But when we realize, like you said, all good things come from God and we have to acknowledge him, that's where change happens. Yeah, it's, it's it's the acknowledgement of the giver. And, uh, and so, you know, where did it all start? It started from the beginning of mankind and human history. So God, um, because of his abundant love, God uh, desires to have an object of that love. 
And so he created male and female. So we go to the garden in, in Genesis chapter 1. You know, he created the heavens and the earth. It, it, it took him, you know, roughly five days. And on the sixth day, he creates man. He says, let us make uh, human beings in our image to be like us. You know, you see the plural pr pronoun. Right from the beginning, we see the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who are all operative in the creating of, of humankind, of mankind, male and female. And he, and he said, not only will I create them, he gave them a purpose. And that was to reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So he created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. It says he created them, male and female, he created them. So he, he, he creates them and he gives them a function, a, a, a purpose, if you will. And so again, when we look at work, when we look at why we were made like, some of us uh, are technologically savvy and, and we're computer generated and, and, and we're really good in that. Wonderful. You know, I have a friend who creates software. That's not something I would ever do. <laughs> then there's people that are counselors who have the gift of mercy. There's teachers who have the gift of teaching. And so God gives us something to do in his creation. But it starts off with the fact that we're made in God's image. And uh, in Latin, it's the imago Deo. Now, what does that mean? And tell me. I don't know what the Imago Dei is. Yeah. Well, if, if you think of image, like today, when you got started, I can tell you shaved very close, Michael. It's, you, you don't have no stubble. I got, I got a new uh, electric shaver. You yeah. know, I deal with all this hair. So Yeah, it's, it's so it's great. Horrible. Thanks for noticing. Uh, well, absolutely. But I'm knowing... <laughs> you're looking at the... You know, I was made in God's image. Yeah. So thank you. Know, exactly. You're just seeing it. But it's smooth. <laughs> but here's what I know. You stood in front of a mirror. Okay, there you go. See, and, and so when you look at an image, it's the image, but it's not the real thing. So I'm not God, but I'm like him. Oh, cool. I see what you did there. I'm yeah. looking at a reflection, not the real thing. That's it. So I'm not God. And, and so... But I'm like him. What does that mean? I, I, I have a physical presence like Jesus does. I have mind. I, I have thought. I have will and I'm, I make decisions. You know, I'm not governed by anything other than my mind. And, uh, you know, like animals are governed by what? Instinct. Uh, right. By, um, by what's, what's wired within them. But they're, they're not, they don't make decisions. We make decisions. We have a will. Mm -hmm. And then we have emotions. And, and so we are unique amongst all God's creation. We, you know, the whole concept of evolution just makes me smile because we're distinct from the creation. And, and so we are not God, but we are like him. Right there, it gives us an incredible sense of being. You know, and, 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 and then when it, when it says, and, and he gave them a purpose, you know, to, to literally reign over the creation to be stewards of it, to manage it. And I mean, that is an amazing thing. God creates it. He says, guys, I want you to manage it. I will never forget when my, uh, I asked my, uh, my stepdad if, if I could have these two rabbits that my neighbor had. He said, absolutely, son, but you're going to be taking care of them. I said, I will. He said, now, uh, are they two males or two females? I go, I don't know. And he goes, well, you better find out. Well, I never found out, but I do know four weeks later I had, <laughs> I had seven more rabbits. 
And then within a, a year, uh, or excuse me, a year and a half, I had 150 rabbits. Jeez. Now here's the deal. Like a nightmare. Yeah. Well, no. Like for me, I had the rabbits. I had I had 35 chickens, a rooster. I had two tortoises. I had a goat. Um, yeah, I had ducks. And I had this menagerie in my backyard. But always my dad says, I'm not, I'm not doing it. It's up to you. In essence, God says, I will create it. You manage it. That is a purpose. Like for me, for 48 years, I've been a pastor. That's my purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's a sense of when I wake up in the morning, I already know not only who I am, I'm made in his image, but I have a, I have a function. And I mean, it, it, it just, it's a relief to me. And then in verse 28, it says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. So here's where we get the concept of family. So I have this relationship with God. I'm like him. I have a purpose here on earth, a function. And then I have a connection, which is family. Be fruitful and multiply. Like for me, I've got this great job. I know who who made me, God. He wove me together in my mother's womb. So he gave me he gave me uh, an identity, a purpose, and then he gives me connection, community, family, and I've got a beautiful wife. I've got two great kids. I've got you as a son-in-law. I got two amazing grandkids and a third on the way. So when's that baby coming, Michael? We'll see. God knows. Okay, very and, soon. And we were just talking before the podcast of uh, how you think about this third one coming, and I'm just like you. I think about it every day, and I pray for that new baby. We don't know if it's a male or female. We know it'll be one or the other, mm-hmm. right? And and so when we think about identity, we've got to go back to the garden. But that's the good news. But here's the problem. There's bad news. The bad news is when sin comes into the world. So God creates man and woman, gives them a purpose, manage the garden. He, he, um, he creates community. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And Adam and Eve would do that, Cain and Abel. But here was the deal. God said, here's your, here's your responsibility. But there's something I, I, I need you to know. You are not to eat of the knowledge of the tree of good, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the, the day that you do that, you shall surely what? Die. Yeah. So when sin comes into the world, it's not just physical death. It's spiritual death. It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. And, and when you see the incident, you know, uh, where uh, Eve is tempted by, by Satan, and she, she finally capitulates and she eats of, of, of the fruit, you know, uh, again, it's, it's going to have an immediate effect. And, uh, and so, you know, I look back at that incident and, I, and my heart just aches because of what it did is that she eats and then all of a sudden they looked at each other and they saw each other as naked. Now they felt shame. Before nakedness, there was no shame. And, and in essence, it stripped man and woman of innocence. And so we know, you know, uh, from this passage and, and later, is that there's a curse that comes because of sin. For the woman, she would feel ch- uh, pain in childbirth, and I don't, I don't believe that that is just, you know, that um, that it's painful for a woman to have a baby. But for the first time, never God's intent. She now knows 
that baby could get sick and that baby can die. And, and indeed, one of, the, one of the phrases is said is, no parent should ever have to bury their, their son or their daughter. Mm. But I have to do that all the time. And it's so hard. But it, is, it was never God's will. And it, it also said that her heart will be for the man. Instinctively, a woman thinks if she, is, she marries the right man, her life will go well. That was never God's intent. Now, man would be a compliment, man would be a companion, but it would ne- a man can never fulfill a woman's purpose, but she will instinctively think he will. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at teenage girls and, you know, they're, they're chatting and they're la- laughing and all that. Usually, what are they talking about, Michael? Nothing. Oh, <laughs> oh you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Yeah. No, I am. Um, I've had... That's so funny you bring that up because I am very close with my sister, I'm, I talk to my wife probably more than most men talk to their wives. We yep. talk like five times a day on the phone. Um, I'm in business with a woman. My mother-in-law and I are keep close tabs on each other. I just have all these relationships with women and great relationships. Yeah. And it's I see this crazy difference when they talk to each other versus when it's just yes. them and myself, you know. And so, yeah, what do women talk about? They talk about all kinds of things, family. Yeah, it's all about relationships. Relationships, totally. But, you know, like how many guys do you know will sit and watch Hallmark movies all afternoon? <laughs> I don't know any, but I, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, no, very few. But because, again, women are way more relationally minded. Mm-hmm. But, again, the confliction women make is, is putting their meaning and purpose in life through a man. And God gave them way greater purpose. Again, it's not demeaning men. It's not demeaning marriage. It's just saying that's not what you're to worship or pursue. Now, again, great to have a marriage, great to have family. But again, God has to be the center of it. So again, the the curse of the woman was pain and childbirth. Now sickness and death is in the world. And her heart will be for the man. For the man, it said now... Uh, you know, he's given the responsibility to manage and, and, and to steward, you know, the creation. But now it says, now he will work from the sweat of his brow. And uh, in other words, there's now thistles. There's now weeds in the garden. There's also stress, right? Oh, okay. Th- that's the metaphor. In other words, when we think about, you know, the garden, it was perfect. There was no weeds in the garden. There would be no rot you know, when you think of the creation today, there's all kinds of things like, why do we have to use pesticides? You know, why do we have to weed? You know, all of that. It is because creation was marred by the fall. It wasn't just man. Yeah, this one just hits home for you because I've seen you in your garden pulling weeds. Oh, gosh. I curse the day they ever <laughs> came into existence. When I when I get into heaven, I'm looking for Adam. See, and my mind goes to, okay, in business, there are hurdles. Yeah. There are obstacles. There are technical errors, right? Those are the weeds that I deal with, right? Everyone has their weeds. That's it. And, and, and boy, you, you, again, in the golf metaphor, you teed it up, is that, <coughs> again, so much of our identity as men is what we do. Right. It's living the adventure. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we don't have it in proper perspective, it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, because again, you know, you you look at work, and I I've seen some of the most amazing you know CEOs or executives, and the, and the accomplishments they've made, 
But uh, what I find is the ones I respect most are the ones who are grounded. They keep it in perspective because work is hard. It, it takes a toll. And, and so what they know is that as they, as they you know, toil on this earth, it's, uh, work is not easy because of the fall, but they understand there will be a day in which the full redemption of mankind and the world will happen. You know, I, I, I'll never forget when our uh, lead pastor at, uh, or senior pastor at, at, at Mariner's Church, Eric Geiger, uh, took the Bible, and I, I'm sure there's other pastors that have done it, but it was the first time I've saw, is that the first two chapters of the Bible are perfect. The last two chapters of the Bible, perfect. Everything in between is a hot mess. And see, when, when you're wise, you recognize we're in a fallen world. And so when it comes to identity, our identity got marred in the fall. Because you remember what happened when Adam and Eve, again, first sinned. They saw each other as naked, so now they felt shame, guilt over something that was so pure. Because you remember when they tried to hide from God? And, 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 and then when he, you know, you can't hide from God. Right. And so he sees, <coughs> sees them in the, <coughs> in the garden and, and they proclaimed, you know, he said, why are you hiding? And remember what they said, because we were naked. And he said to them, who, who told you, who told you you were naked? In other words, there is a self-imposed shame that we feel because we sin. So we, they told themselves, is what. Yeah, in other words, it's 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 their internal mechanism now says you're full of sin. Mm-hmm. Now shame and guilt, and and again, it was never God's design, and and so so our identity got marred in, in, in the fall, such that we're confused about who we are, whose we are, what our purpose is, and and so it's 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 this fight to find who who we really are. And I'll tell you, when you finally have a sense of who made you uniquely, you know, like in Psalm 139, you're woven together in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You stop right there and you go, wow, I am made in God's image. That's, that's a game changer. It really is. Because now I can look and I can enter into my world and I have a sense of clarity. I know this is not heaven. I know it's not perfect. That I live in a flawed community. But but I care more about what God thinks of me than what man thinks of me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, it, um, it it's not that we don't take um, uh, input from others. Because again, uh, uh, one person put it this way, that we are the sum total of our five closest friends. Yeah, And we talked about that last week. And so I don't want to repeat that, but it really is their input. So who you hang around really has an impact in who you are and how you act. Like like in, in uh, Corinthians, it says, bad company corrupts what? Good morals. In other words, people affect me, so I need to choose wisely. But again, at the foundation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen way more to what God thinks about me than what I think about me. It's sometimes so difficult to remove ourselves from relationships. You know, you say, you know, it's so important who we spend time with. And, you know, sometimes those people are right within our own home or the workplace or whatever. 
And, um, and then other times it's very hard to surround ourselves with good people because, you know, we just don't know them or they're unavailable or whatever. So what's a, a little bit that you can give us in that regard? Yeah, I, I think first of you, you have to come to a, a, an evaluation, a, a point of discernment. Who are the people I'm letting in? Even in a family context, like, you know, people will say, and I've said it before, you know, you don't get to choose your family. But here's the thing is, you can choose how close you let family in. And, and I mean, you look at Jesus, who did he spend most his time with? For whatever reason, it wasn't his family. It was the three disciples. He had the three disciples, that's his inner circle. Then he had the 12, then he had the 70, and then he had the multitudes. And so I get a choice how close I let people in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so uh, discerning the people that you want in your life. You know, like there's, there's people, I, I know it may surprise you, that want to spend time with me. But I, I it surprises I, me. I know, I know, it shocks me too. But but here's the thing: is I have to make a choice. Am I the person that should be meeting with them? Mm, and right. like I had one guy who said, "Hey, I would love to meet with you weekly," and I said, "You know what, um, man? In heaven, we can do that all day long. Here, I really don't have the time, and and I because I'm not going to make a commitment I can't keep." You know, like like even in this podcast, you and I made a commitment. We do this pretty much weekly unless we're out of town or sick. Mm-hmm. Why? There's a there's a relationship that we have, and 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 we love that, and this enhances our relationship, and we learn from each other. And so I'm not, I'm going to give my time to that. When I walk away from here today, or every day that I've walked away from here, I go, I am so glad I spent time with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we had one listener. You know, maybe my wife or, or Crystal, uh, that would be worth it just to have the time with you. And, and so um, to answer your question, we have to be discerning, even with family and friends, who we let into our inner circle. And this contributes hugely to our identity. It does. But again, foundationally, it's God. It's God. When I get the God piece in... I, I can move and have my being and have a sense of confidence. Um, you know, going back to Romans chapter 12 and, and the real definition of humility, it, it, is, is, it is to not think too highly of yourself so that you have this arrogance and not to think too lowly of yourself where it's false humility, but to think accurately of yourself. Well, how do I have a bullseye? How do I have an accurate view of myself? It's when I, I see myself in who I really am. And, and like, I remember one day, and it didn't come until I think it was in my 30s, because I really struggled with my identity or my self-esteem. And I remember the day that when I looked in the mirror, I really liked the guy I saw in the mirror. That, that is... That's so profound. It is. Because then, no matter how... You know, messed up the world is, no matter how crazy things go, there's a sense of foundation. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, build your, your life upon the rock, you know, so that when the storms of life come, the house remains standing. Don't build your house upon the sand so that when the storms come, the house is destroyed. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't define what that house or what that rock is. Right. But man, you can use it for a lot of things. 
you know, like, like if you're building a church, build your church upon good mission, vision, values, biblical truth, you know. But let's say it's it's our lives. Yeah, how about a family? Building a family. Yeah. So what we want to do is build it upon the truths of God's word so that we as family members know who we are. We treat each other. We, we did that series on one another's. It is, is that we have healthy interaction with each other and our family just grows and grows deeper and deeper. And and, and again, Michael, I, I will say in this in this thing of identity, foundationally, it goes back to the garden and the recognition that the identity that we have was marred in the creation. It needs to be redeemed. Clarity needs to come to it. Until a man or woman does that, they're, they're lost. And you know, I again, I don't care what age you are. I felt lost at age 17 and a half. You when you were 18 or 19. But you asked the question, what about older guys? I, I've got two guys I'm thinking in my head who, who now in their 60s, man, they have just gained a sense of themselves. And, and we, I was in a Bible study with them, and the guys in their group affirmed both of them because their trajectory of their lives in the past year or two has been phenomenal. And they're in their 60s because they finally have a clear sense of who they are and what they're doing. That's so cool. Yeah, so when, you, when we do that, it transforms us. It does. And it gives us peace, clarity, joy, right? All yeah. the, the fruit that you want in your life. <laughs> exactly. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk how we build on that identity that God gives us. Cool. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely, Michael. And uh, I'm looking forward to that new baby coming. Yeah, maybe maybe today. We'll see. I'm just kidding. No, we're, we're a couple weeks out. Okay. All right. 